you have your Bibles and want to turn with me to that glorious passage of John chapter 20, I will begin reading at the end of verse 19 to place the setting, and we'll continue down through the ending of chapter 20. Now hear the word of the Lord. And I placed emphasis on the hearing here, as you shall see. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbani, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go and to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Yet the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be to you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. 
Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Our gracious Father, we ask that your Spirit would open up the word of life to us this day, that we, with fresh eyes of faith, might see that which our natural eyes cannot. May we hear our God speaking to us and the voice of Jesus comforting us with the words of life. And pray that you would bring forth the fruit out of each of our lives that would be pleasing to the Father, glorifying to our Lord, and that would stir our hearts to joy and love abundantly. It is in Jesus' name and for his sake that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And y'all get to finally rest a little bit. Thank you, choir. I was sitting over on the side and thought, you know, I could get used to this every Lord's Day. The choir singing here and the congregation here and me over on the side being able to enjoy the worship in a different perspective and and it is glorious. As I woke up this morning, my alarm went off and as I lay there in bed lingering, I'm not one of those jackrabbits that jump right up. Uh, I'm laying there and I'm thinking, you know, the Lord is risen. Lord God, the implications of Jesus having risen from the grave. As I began meditating on that, I said, you know what, Lord, I can pray to you right now because Christ is risen. I can hope in tomorrow because Christ is risen. I don't have to worry about my children's future in this fallen world because Christ is risen. I know that my God hears my prayers and He answers them. I know that I don't have to fear what men can do to me because life and God's love for me can never be taken away. Because Christ has risen from the dead, I can rejoice in this life that this life is not all that there is. I can minister God's Word knowing that my labor is not in vain. There is so much I can thank God for, so much life to live, so boldly and fearlessly I can die because I know that Jesus lives. And He's told me we will never taste death. I came 
into the bedroom as my wife was getting ready this morning. I said, you know, because Jesus lives, you and I are together. If he has not raised from the dead, we would have never known each other. She goes, how do you figure that? Well, we met each other in church. Our kids wouldn't be here. None of this would be here. The implications are profound. Go and connect those dots as much as you possibly can with how blessed your life is because this day Jesus lives. The scenes that are before us in chapter 20 is where the risen Jesus Christ addresses three groups of people. And as we consider them, allow these scenes to stir up our faith in the living Jesus who rose from the grave. The first scene in which takes most of the the time and priority here is the scene one, Mary in the garden. In John's narrative of that glorious morning, we are first told it was the first day of the week, that's the time, and we're told it took place in a garden, that's the space. And that day and that timing and that space are important because something new has come into this world. The spotlight here is on the scene with Mary Magdalene. She was the one out of whom Jesus cast seven demons. She knew the life of darkness in this fallen world. She comes to the tomb early on the day after the Sabbath, and John had emphasized for us that the tomb was in a garden setting. It was a fresh tomb in which no one had been laid. We're back in the garden where life first began in creation, and from where man fell and God cast his curse. As the creation narrative of Genesis 1 and 2 gets now replayed, we see Jesus and Mary in the garden. The victorious Adam in the garden with God's blessing and new life and a new world. Many commentators have have considered Mary's role in the narrative at this juncture as a symbolic reversal of Eve. We have a lot of Marys in the New Testament to keep up with and to keep track with, but perhaps the one thing they all have in common that we should note is that they were all named Mary. (laughs) Perhaps that name, common among them all, is enough for us to connect the dots with what's going on. The first woman created was Eve, and to Eve it was said that her seed would crush the head of the serpent. Well, Jesus is that seed of a woman, Jesus the seed of his mother Mary. Jesus is the last Adam, and we read about that in 1 Corinthians 15, which calls him the last Adam. He lived a parallel life, if you will, to the first Adam. The first Adam was the head of the human race, and through his disobedience, all of humanity, along with all of creation, fell under God's righteous curse. But Jesus, the last Adam, came to reverse all the effects of the fall, and in his perfect obedience, received God's blessing 
for a new race and a new creation of which you are a part and are here this morning. It shouldn't surprise us that we see Jesus in a garden setting and it shouldn't surprise us that he was being mistaken for the gardener. And we see a woman with him whose name through all of the Marys, identifies her with the first created woman back in the early garden. And we shouldn't be surprised to see a connection. As the narrative then plays out to reverse woman's place in the new creation. In fact, we see women so uh, boldly around the cross of Jesus, and so boldly on that day of the resurrection that women are given a very prominent role in the resurrection as we see in all of the gospel accounts. What we have done, Adam and Eve, Christ has reversed with greater glory than the depravity of our fall. And Mary arrives on the scene first, And she sees the open tomb and she assumes that someone came in and took Jesus' body. And so strong were her assumptions, it was hard for her to consider anything otherwise. There have been a lot of naysayers, even to this day, denying that Jesus ever really did rise from the dead. And doing so, they're trusting their own foolish and fallen faculties against all the evidence And they're believing something that is not true. John makes a point that the body was not taken by grave robbers. And he specifically points out what we find in the tomb when they went in and saw it. There was orderliness in the tomb. Uh, There was the, the face cloth neatly folded up, lying aside from the grave clothes, which shows God's orderliness even in death, and in the resurrection. This was no scene of thievery, no scene of grave robbing. When the serpent first had his conversation with Eve in the garden centuries before, tempting her with the forbidden fruit that promised death and destruction, Jesus now converses in the garden with an unsuspecting man Mary, unsuspecting Mary, who was lamenting and mourning death, but is suddenly surprised with life and restoration. It's a glorious reversal. God gave His oral, His Word. He gave His oral instructions to man about the trees in the garden in the beginning. But when woman was tempted with her eyes... And she saw that this fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, she was drawn away from what God had said. In this fresh garden scene with Jesus, woman could not see Jesus until he called her by name. Eve allowed what she saw to bring doubt to God's word. And now, God's Word through Jesus' voice overcomes Mary's sight to give her faith in seeing what is true. While our natural sight can and will deceive us often, God's Word is always to be trusted 
and it is always true. Jesus' voice calling Mary. It opened her heart of understanding. And this goes back to John 10 when he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Mary could now see because she first heard. In an instant, Mary knew that it was Jesus. And from lamenting and mourning to an ecstatic joy of living again, her emotion of the moment cannot be contained. And she immediately clung to Him where we get this kind of a challenging, awkward verse in verse 17 where Jesus says, Do not cling to Me, for I have not yet ascended to My Father, but go to My brethren and say to them, I am ascending to My Father and Your Father, to My God and Your God. Now, without a lot of explanation, I, I don't think Jesus was rebuffing Mary at this moment, but rather he's stressing the urgency of the hour. Okay, Mary, um, it's time for me to ascend to my Father, but there's still some things that are to be settled here and these last-minute things to deal with. Now, quickly go and tell my disciples. I think that's more the spirit of the matter. And so she does. The next scene, scene two then, opens up with ten disciples gathered together in a room behind locked doors. And they were in a safe locked door because of the fear of the Jews. With their association with Jesus, they were also fearful for their lives. And into that room, without opening the locked door, without knocking, he just appears. Here he is. By now, we should be able to notice that something about his resurrected, glorified body was somewhat different. He wasn't easily or instantly recognized by appearance. Mary, mistaked him for a gardener, was talking to him face to face and did not understand until he called her name. Two disciples on the road to Emmaus chatted with Jesus as he went along the road telling them of all the things that had just happened, teaching them from the the prophets and the Old Testament Scriptures and that these things must take place. And then they offered him dinner. He comes in and then he breaks the bread. And then, in the breaking of the bread, his presence was known to them. And then he just disappears. Jesus was no longer limited by the old creational space and time that was succumbed to the fall. There was something different about His resurrected body where He could even pass through walls before where His human body could not. Now, He was still very human, nonetheless human, and still very God, nonetheless God, as He always has been. In fact, today, He is still clothed in flesh and blood, and still very human, seated seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now, we can't see Him, but He is still in humanity. And that's a, a mystery to us. But His physical body has somehow, in some way, been changed. On the other hand, it's still the same body. It's not a completely different body. It is the same body, but now resurrected and glorified. It still had scars from 
the nails in his hands and his side and his feet that he could show and demonstrate. I, I believe they're still there to this day for a, a, a testimony. He was still physical. He even demonstrated that to his doubting disciples. I believe it was in Luke's rendition when he, he, they thought he's, they saw a spirit because he just immediately appeared behind locked doors. And he says, give me something to eat. Let me show you. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. I am flesh and blood. But yet that same body resurrected was changed. And it is in this kind of change that we can expect something of our own resurrection. The same bodies of which we now know, yet changed into something new that we do not yet know. But it will be glorious. I don't know what it's like to not know the temptation to sin. But in those new bodies, we will not know that. I do not know what it is like to never have a fear or a sorrow or a grief. But in those new bodies, that will be true. We can't even comprehend or even think about how we would feel in such a state. And then Jesus commissioned His disciples. He he then looks upon his disciples, he, he tells them, he enters the room with this, this shalom, and then he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, and then he says, now go. As the Father has sent me, so now I send you. Go. As he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, we have an echoing back to Genesis 2-7, where God then takes and dirt of the ground, and he forms it into man. And there was a lifeless being. But then he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And here we have the Spirit of God breathing on his new creation, breathing life into his new humanity. And now he commissions them to go and be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth with all of the goodness and grace of God's shalom. As he tells them, this peace be to you. This word is a, a word in which we often see translated as peace. This is a shalom which is much more meaningful than just an absence of, of chaos or an absence of war or tumult. This word is a word that has complexity and meaning that means God's well-being and wholeness. All of what humanity was designed to be in the image of God to you. Wholeness with the Spirit of God. As He breathes on them the Spirit of God, He's foreshadowing toward that day of Pentecost, which was inseparable from the resurrection. And He sends them out. The third scene we find unfolding here, because there was a disciple missing there were ten gathered on that day. We know what happened to Judas Iscariot, but, but there was one that was missing. I, I find, unfortunately, I identify much too often with Thomas. I am comforted to know that Thomas was one of the twelve disciples and apostles, even in his doubting way. And God can overrule all of those doubts and fears and all of the way he was. But Thomas was not there. And, and he made a very bold statement when his disciples and, and the, the, the ladies and all these testimonies said, Jesus is risen. You know, 
You can just hear it, that pessimism. I ain't going to believe it. I ain't going to believe it. Not unless I see, not unless I touch, not unless I feel. No, no, not for me. He was such a doubting empiricist, students. But when Jesus appeared and offered and invited him to come and examine and feel and see, he he didn't need it. All he could do is say, my Lord and my God. That was an astounding confession indeed that left no doubt remaining. In all actuality, in every one of those three scenes, people recognize and accept the fact that he has risen only when he reveals himself to them. No amount of empirical evidence will ever convince the naysayer Though plenty of evidence is available, no amount of sight of miracles performed will convince those who do not want to believe. It takes a miracle to believe. A miracle that God works constantly. He worked it in your heart. He worked it in mine. But even those of his who are doubters, who claim they will not believe unless they see him, he will overcome all of their obstacles in their doubting minds. And that is a great blessing for me. And they will be convinced that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. If you are His, you will hear His voice. He will make Himself known to you. You will believe and He will overcome every obstacle of your doubts and your weaknesses to make Himself known to you. It will take a miracle, but He will do a miracle because with God all things are possible and this is what He is in the business of doing, saving the world. And here you are, a group of people, joined together with a great cloud of witnesses, saved by the grace of God, clothed in His righteousness, washed in His blood, and you know Him as Lord and King. God's Word is to be trusted. Always give yourself in every situation to trust what God has said in His Word. Against all empirical evidence, against what your eyes can see, not that He hasn't given you evidence, but trust His Word. Listen to His voice. And you have to spend your time here for you to hear. The implication of Jesus' resurrection is immeasurable, incalculable implications for your life. If you will take but some time, you can draw out praise after praise and thanksgiving after thanksgiving as you begin seeing dots connected because all things are new. If you're truly in Christ, He has made Himself known to you savingly. Everything in your life now is different. It's new from what it used to be before. 
This entire creation is different. Your attitude is different. Your spirit is different. Your disposition is different. Your outlook on life is different. Your relationships are different. Your hope beyond the grave is different. All things are new. And we have to live in the light of the beauty of that truth. Your purpose now in life is also different. Jesus says, go. And he sends you into a world with a purpose to share God's shalom. Now, all of that fallenness and all of that stuff that you read every day, that's the very reason He left you here. We are no longer of the world, but He leaves us in the world because of that fallenness, because the world needs God's shalom, and He's empowered us to make us successful in His journey. We have to be the light. We have to be the salt. Where else will the world know? So may God energize you in the work that He is calling you to in this life, in this world, and in this time. As the hymn writer said, because He lives, there is bright hope for tomorrow. I'm calling you to believe it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for revealing truth to us because Jesus has called his sheep by name and we have heard his voice and we follow the good shepherd. Grant that you would dispel all doubts, all fears, all obstacles, everything that encumbers us from fully loving you and trusting you as we ought. And may we so live the rest of our days here redeeming the time and to make the voice of Christ to be heard by sending His shalom out to all of the ends of the earth that all of your elect may be gathered in with the powerful word of the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you would bless this church and this congregation for generations to come to be a shining light and salt in the place and in the time that you put us. And may we each Lord's Day Come in this holy space, in this holy time, to give you praise and to receive more of your power to go do the work you've called us to do. We give you our thanks this day for the living Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who ever liveth and saves us to the uttermost of us who draw near unto him by faith. We pray this in his name. Amen.